Hello, I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch Podcast. It is the final week of 2023, a time when many will reflect on the year rapidly passing by. Joining me to reflect on the past year in big philanthropy and its influence on public policy are two of my senior colleagues, Capital Research Center President Scott Walter and CRC Center for Strategic Giving Director Mike Hartman. Uh, Scott, Mike, welcome back. Great to be here. All right. So I have have set this up in a a game of threes. Uh, We are going to discuss what we think are the most undercovered stories in big philanthropy activism for 2023, the biggest stories of big philanthropy activism from 2023. And then we're going to make some predictions about what we think are going to be the biggest stories from 2024. So I will go first with my most undercovered story, and I think it is who's funding the new right. So you have this faction led by American Compass and American Moments. American Moments, uh, uh, Sarab Sarma now is, uh, I want to say, executive director at the Edmund Burke Foundation, which is big in the national conservatism movement. Um, And both American Moment and American Compass uh, have taken money from left-wing foundations, Uh, in uh, American Compass's case, it's the Hewlett Foundation and the Amadire Network. Both of these are committed left-wing institutions. Uh, you know, people might have heard of Pierre Amadire back in 2016 when he was the, the liberal who was funding all the Never Trumper groups back when that was a thing. Uh, you know, since then, he's kind of become an orthodox progressive. Uh, and the Hewlett Foundation is one of the classic big philanthropies, uh, funds, every liberal cause uh, that you've ever heard of, abortion activism, population control, environmentalism, and also Republicans who love labor unions. Uh, So now there was some reporting uh, that came out, the the Daily Beast was completely befuddled that anyone, specifically the Capital Research Center, uh, would suggest that taking money from the Hewlett Foundation might call into question American Compass's conservatism. but I think, you know, that this that this was something as these groups grow in influence, uh, the American Compasses and the American Moments grow in influence, the extent to which they are supported by institutional progressives uh, is going to have to come out and is going to have to be brought to the fore. Uh, Mike Hartman, your nomination. So we're just going nominations and we can argue later in holiday cheer. Nominations, nomination, nominations and argue later. <laughs> I thought an undercovered aspect of what's going on and what I'll say big philanthropy is a, the expansion, the increased use of philanthropic delivery mechanisms that have nothing to do with the system of law with which we're familiar and on which really we rely uh, to try to track what's going on in, 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 in big philanthropy. So this to me could, means could you just just for just for our listeners' edification, could you describe sort of the old just kind of do a quick compare contrast with the old private foundation model and the new yeah the new model, however <laughs> you wish, whatever you wish to call it. You know, oversimplifying for time, uh, you'd be tax exempt in return for I'm going to say cutting a bargain. Some would not like that language with the state essentially. Uh, having to do with when you can give the money away, the rate at which you have to do so, the percentage you have to give away of your assets a year, and then certain limitations on what you can do in the political realm, which we'll discuss, I'm sure, here uh, in a minute, and other things having to do with uh, disclosure of what's going on at your philanthropy and what goes on government forms that are then 
either fully or partially released to the public. Uh, an LLC, a limited liability corporation, it's a for-profit deal, uh, is not subject to the terms of that, what I'll call bargain. Uh, right. So a private foundation has to file with the IRS for public inspection, the 990PF, a, a, a tax return that discloses a great deal of information about its activities. An LLC does not, is my understanding. Yeah. And I can by just giving money away without worrying about the exemption and what comes with it in terms of regulations and requirements and so forth. Do whatever I want. It's a free country. I've got what some call donor freedom. Uh, and then I, I, I don't want to say the other end, but it's also the case that many people in America put a dollar into the Salvation Army bucket outside of the food store without giving one wit what the law says. And that's, uh, you know, that's charity, too. And it's not measured by big philanthropy as it seeks to defend itself. So that I just think we should be cognizant of the fact that we don't know much and charity is going to occur with or without all these letters and numbers we throw at each other at our meetings, C3, C4, 527, super PACs. Uh, that's all. That's what's undercovered. Understood. All right. And, and Scott, your nomination? Uh, my nomination comes straight from Capital Research Center, uh, namely our colleague Parker Thayer uh, and his blockbuster report um, appeared just a few months ago on the way that those 501c3 foundations that Hartman was just mentioning and uh, also donor advised funds, which I'm shocked Hartman failed to mention, uh, maybe still a little hungover from Christmas cheer. I don't know. Um, and, uh, uh, but um Though the money from donor advised funds and private foundations uh, going to 501c3 public charities um, for the purposes of registering Democrat voters and getting out the Democratic vote. Right, and, right. Like the pro and the problem here is that under the tax code, if you're a 501c3, you're expressly prohibited from intervening in elections. Exactly. And hilariously, the idiots in the media will literally say often in stories that public charity couldn't have intervened in an election because it's not legal for them to do that, as if no one in the history of the world has ever violated a law. That That is classic. Um, but yeah, so just, to, just let's just expound that a little bit more. So these liberal foundations, big philanthropy, give money to these these voter registration groups, and then these voter registration groups go register voters who just so happen to be mostly Democrats? Exactly. You will find like the Voter Participation Center, one of the bad, big bad guys in this, in 2018, literally spent two thirds of its money on Democrat micro-targeting firms, right? So uh, now it, it, I should say and, immediately- and I, I, believe, I believe we just- had one one of these groups, it might have been Voter Registration Project itself, was asking for like a rapid response guy who had familiarity with Catalyst, which is like the er Democratic data firm. <laughs> exactly. That's that that's what they're current, you know, they're currently advertising for a job and they want somebody who knows exactly how to use the Democrat um uh the Democrat giant databases and the rest. And we should say, look, obviously it's registering voters and getting people to the polls, that's all a good Amer all American thing. Right, right. If the, Democratic Party were doing, doing if the Democratic Party were doing this, we would have no objection to it. 
Yes, if it's the, if it's, this was the Democratic National Committee, if this was Planned Parenthood Action Fund, all kinds of groups may legally do these things, but there is one subset of groups that may not, and that is the charitable sector. But according to the smartest people I know on the left and what they say secretly to each other until it leaks out, thanks to Teddy Schleifer at Puck News, um, this C3 illegal voter registration and get out the vote activity is in fact the most effective way to get Democrats elected, the most votes per dollar for electing Democrats. All right. So in defense of mine, I, I think it's important. I, I just think mine is more undercover. I, I think <laughs> the, the, the left, you know, I think there actually has been quite a bit of coverage of the 501c3 voter outreach misbehavior. And I mean, we could argue maybe the the restructuring of big philanthropy that Mike that Mike was describing, but but I mean this is actual real real money. Seven figures are coming in to ostensibly the conservative movement to change the conservative movement. I, I think that is a that that is a big deal in public policy. What do you do, Mike, with uh, Heritage and ISI and the Conservative Partnership Institute and Claremont? I mean, is the whole thing bought and paid for by uh, Hewlett and Omidyar? I mean, we're having a debate about what conservatism is. You can't just define away those. Well, I, I, I mean, I think it's different if, say, Thomas Klingenstein, who's a big funder of the Claremont Institute, but has a long record of supporting right-wing causes, is debating what conservatism is than if a major funder of, say, abortion rights, like the Hewlett Foundation, is trying to debate what conservatism is. You would have gotten rid of a lot of people who voted for Trump and gotten them elected in 2016 then. They couldn't, what were they doing electing Trump? The lot of them voted for Sanders in the primary in Wisconsin. I mean, I, I, I think individual, individual voters and public institutions are kind of on a, on a different level. Uh, you know, voters voters change their minds all the time. You know, public institutions, I, I think, are more supposed to be a, you know, a a a point around which people can rally, not constantly following the crowd. Yeah, I I would jump in. Hartman's always great at the at the devil's advocacy, um, but I would say that. Um, uh, uh, Mr. Hartman and Mr. Watson, that what you were dealing with in the, those very voters that Hartman just mentioned, so you were dealing with the people who exercising the magnificent American right to vote against somebody. <laughs> you know, the, when they were voting for Bernie Sanders and when they were voting for Donald Trump, they were voting against the hideous D.C. swamp establishment. That's what they were doing. And that is not crazy. Um, uh, and also, as Watson says, voters are supposed to be able to change. In fact, Lincoln said that the, the central thing to free government was that you would have easily changing majorities, right? As circumstance adjust, circumstances adjust, people adjust, you know, how they're trying to angle the boat. It's, it's, Churchill also talked about this, right? Churchill went from the Tory party to the Liberal Party and back to the Tory party. Well, but he didn't think that he wildly changed his political uh, philosophy. He thought that depending on where things were at the moment, which way you needed the ship to tack in order to try to keep moving in the right direction. But it's messy and sloppy um, and imperfect. 
uh, I, I would say too that the uh, that I have spoken at the National Conservatism Conference a time or two in the past. I'm not by any means myself allergic to the kinds of complaints um, and criticisms that lots of populist folks have. But I think those same populists would be shocked if Mr. Watson's story here were better reported. I think they would be shocked to hear that Hewlett, um, one of the biggest environmentalist, radical environmental funding and, and radical abortion funding groups in America, was supporting people who supposedly are populists. Um, now, I have to say, I don't think that American Compass and the folks like that are are uh, total double agents in the sense that they want bad lefty things to happen, but I think that they are very poor uh, strategists on how they're going to move the country in the direction yeah. they want. That's because... I'll, 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 I'll give you. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Yeah, you worked for uh, Michael Novak, a neoconservative, Irving Crystal, the blue, the godfather of neoconservative was for two cheers for capitalism. Well, yes, that, that, having said that, I would pay a lot of money to see, I'd pay a lot of money to see what Irving Crystal would say about Donald Trump. Uh, I don't think that a loud mouth um, from uh, uh, Queens would, would frighten him as much as it seems to frighten his son. Well, and Norman Podhoritz, of course, has defended Trump, but I am exactly not that's myself. the best evidence that that's what Irving would have, Crystal would have done. Yes, so um, they would. I think they would have. You know, Crystal under Crystal Irving Crystal was a very savvy guy, and uh, in politics, and he knew how imperfect it was, and he knew that. Well, he speaking of which, he was for getting out of NATO. Decades ago, he was forgetting out of NATO before the Soviet <laughs> Union had fallen. So, you know, would never been funded by yeah. conservatives. So, so, so given given that we have now spent the discussion entirely discussing the you are underreported. Yeah, I, I think I think we can give the award to uh, the the who's funding the new right and uh, <laughs> what effects that may have on our on our public policy. So I will now move on to the biggest story in philanthropy and activism for 2023. Mike Hartman, your nomination. Well, I thought it was the donor revolt uh, post October 7th uh, in the higher education context. I'll leave it there for now, right? Because it's the next round where we'll talk about the ramifications of it and the, whether it might be exported to other, well, the big philanthropy context. But the the the, the donor revolt, as it, uh, it is being called and is known, not a product, by the way, of any conservative at all uh, operation, populist or not, center left. But that's been the biggest story, yeah. I think. Scott, uh, I I have to agree on that. Um, and I'm I'm half tempted to say uh, Bill Ackman for president uh, because he has been the way he has tormented Harvard um, is a thing of beauty. But a big honorable mention to my former uh, White House colleague, Elise Stefanik, now uh, congresswoman from uh, New York, who put in the single finest, even beating out any of Senator Kennedy's fabulous <laughs> Uh, uh, moments. That, that being uh, Senator John Neely Kennedy of Louisiana, not any yeah. 
Yes, exactly. Not the Massachusetts, not the Massachusetts no. branch. No, she, she did a better job. And we can we can only pray that that there will be many more hearings where left wingers are grilled in a hearing the way that businessmen used to get grilled by the likes of uh, Democrat chairman like Waxman and Dingle. Well, I will now I will now put up my uh, uh, my nominee to lose to the post October seventh donor revolts uh, because that is the biggest story in in philanthropy the the um, mass apparently mass defections uh, of donors uh, a lot of them big money donors like Ackman uh, who are entirely unsatisfied with the response of these elite private universities, especially in the Ivy League, to uh, the attack on Israel by Hamas. But I think it will be interesting. Uh, you know, we had Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, he got tried this year. He was convicted this year of various financial crimes for his cryptocurrency schemes, uh, obviously. Uh, Scott, it's his mom who ran the Democratic Super PAC? She founded and, and led Mind the Gap Super PAC, Yes. Which, which was one of the groups that was involved in the, if you, the biggest, you know, votes per dollar is C3 stuff? Yes, still, still is. Yes, still is. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, Bankman-Fried, uh, her son, the cryptocurrency billionaire now, uh, now disgraced, uh, was a big leader or follower of this effective altruism movement that you have to make as much money as you possibly can and then give it all away to do the most most good for the most people, I think is the slogan. I was reading our yes, late Yes, it's utilitarian. It's right out of Bentham and yeah, utilitarianism. Straight, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, straight utilitarianism, Peter Singer, the utilitarian philosopher who has some unusual views, uh, has spoken in favor of it, as I believe. Um, so it will be interesting since one of its big supporters now has essentially self-immolated uh, where that movement goes. But uh, I think as we get to the discussion portion, it's obviously the post-October 7th donor revolt. Well, well, let me, I just want to say a, a quick thing or two, which is not only did Sam Bankman-Fried put money into uh, effective altruism and be its poster child, uh, but he hired most of the uh, top people um, who were in this silly movement including, for instance, William McCaskill, um, who I once said plays the Apostle Paul to Peter Singer's Christ in this movement. Singer, Singer, who's a total sicko. Um, not, he was for animal rights, which is one bit of extremism, but he also was even for necrophilia if it's consensual. So a complete lunatic, sicko, lefty. Um, yeah, he, but, he's, the class, he's the classic case of when you take utilitarianism beyond any sort of bound where you end up. Yes, Yes. And in fact, Irving Kristol's wife, Gertrude Himmelfarb, wrote the best stuff on Bentham and the original utilitarians and what inhumane monsters they were. But uh, it, so it, 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 was, it was the entire effective altruism infrastructure, as well as Sam Bankman-Fried and its just general reputation, took huge hits in all of this. Hartman, any thoughts before I give the award to the donor revolt? <laughs> uh, 
I didn't realize. Is it just a vote? Is it is it a two to one vote on the awards? Or, uh, I have no I, idea. It's 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 not it's not a vote. It's an I I get, I I take your your feedback under consideration. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. Okay, I have no uh, helpful thoughts. <laughs> All right, it is it is the biggest story of the year. It is the post October seventh donor revolt by center left uh, donors to higher education. Uh, who have been rightly repelled by the fruits of the DEI tree uh, that were so ably revealed by the questioning of Representative Stefanik. And now let's look to next year. Uh, what do we think are going to be the big stories uh, in the coming year in philanthropy and public policy? Scott, you first. <laughs> Well, I'm going to nominate the flip side of my most underreported story, namely the, uh, the, the C3 money going to C3 charities and then going to elect Democrats. Uh, I'm going to predict that that is going to be a big, big story because um, I believe that the House Ways and Means Committee um, is going to continue pushing on this tack. Uh, I testified to a hearing there of two or three weeks ago um that was about more about foreign money than about that but it but the voter reg stuff came up as well and i think we're just going to see more I mean, and more I mean, foreign money is part of the, foreign money is part of the voter reg stuff because well, exactly a, exactly a hypothetical person named hans jorg uh who is a swiss national can take his american foundation and give however much money he wants to 501c3 groups that do voter registration as we have discussed uh, ab no, and, and, and he does. And the, the other thing is that Mind the Gap Super PAC, which got outed in 2020 for pushing this, um, has now just recently gotten outed again, saying that this for the 2024 presidential cycle, the C3 money and registration remains the number one way to spend money to elect Democrats. So my nomination is basically a follow up to our biggest story of 2023, which is does the higher education donor reckoning gain momentum? Does it continue? Or is it something we're angry about for six months and then it goes away? Uh, any sort of movement of, of movement where people are maybe taking institutionalist positions against their general partisan outlook runs the risk of simply running out of steam. And when the uh, you know, when Israel has concluded its military campaign, when the period, all these radical lefty groups that are protesting from Turtle Island to Palestine, liberate everyone, uh, you know, blocking, blocking highways when they're done, when, when they have come to the end of their, of their activism, you know, let's say uh, Harvard president, you know, Harvard, the Penn president has already stepped down. Let's assume that uh, Harvard President Claudine Gay uh, steps down or is let or is let go at some point in the future. You know, does Ackman say, "I am satisfied, I am done," or have we opened Pandora's box? Have we shown what the DEI institutional the what um, uh, Russ Green of Stand Together calls the acronym industrial complex? You know, if we if we have revealed the acronym industrial complex, we have revealed it to people who were unaware, indifferent, perhaps mildly supportive of it, but are now repulsed by it. 
do we actually see this pick up steam in the coming year? And Mike, your nomination. You know, I think we're in agreement here too. I am more cowardly saying what you guys are saying, I think, at an abstract level, which makes it harder to shoot at my feet about it. But uh, looking <laughs> forward, the question is whether this, as you say, Mike, the anger at things big with a lot of money will continue or not, and what form such anger may or may not take, including policy. Uh, my abstract description of, of what I'll be looking for or thinking might be coming next year was to just note the intramural debates on the left between progressives and regular old establishment liberals about, hey, you know, you're going a little too far. You're, you're pushing people too far, the people who voted. Yeah, for yeah. The, the, the people, the 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 squad Trump wing right. against the against the John Fetterman wing of and sort of regular Democrats going on within conservatism, where you clearly have a position and definitions get fun and matter. And, you know, you fight over what it is, what it should be. And, so and that is happening on the right and may happen, hopefully will actually, as as pan as we look at Pandora's box and in this context of philanthropy, whether you tinker around the edges of Schedule F reform or, you know, entertain a little uh, bomb throwing Vance like, why don't we tax the endowments at 35 uh, percent? That's coming for big philanthropy. I think Darren Walker at Ford and uh, those in the hallways of the, the, the good hallways, the big hallways, the corner suites of big philanthropy, their attention was probably drawn a little more quickly to a proposal like that than uh, some of the other ones, you know, all of which are needed and good and should be pursued. But uh, the Vance bill of 35. Right, right. And, and, and like, a Dar like a Darren Walker who's sitting on an endowment that grows itself isn't going to be affected by a donor revolt, but Congress comes sniffing around saying that they might tax that endowment. That's going to get his attention in a way that. That's all I'm saying. Now, if and when that happens, it might not be next year, just to give myself another out. That might be the biggest story of uh, another, the, the next, a different line. 2025. On the Hill, 2025. Yeah. So do I get a bonus for looking even farther ahead? <laughs> Well, no, you get a but you do get a bonus for saying uh, the war on bigness um, because actually there's a great the, the great Michael Barone who's occasionally collaborated with Mike Watson on some good work in the past uh, and was my colleague for many years at AEI. Um, he actually has a, 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 a entire book on uh, hard America, soft America, but also against bigness. So. Uh, whether it's big labor, Mr. Watson's bet noir, or big business, or big philanthropy, um, they all very much need to be watched. The last time the right. taxes were raised on the net investment income of uh, higher education endowments, they're soon followed within a year or two a change in the law about how the uh, endowment, the net investment income of uh, philanthropic endowments will be treated as well. The, the logic applies in, in both cases. So well, I, th I think I, I, I think Hartman's distant vision is going to win biggest story of the next couple of years uh, in the philanthropic policy space. Uh, gentlemen, before I let you go, do you have anything else that you'd like to uh, tell our listeners as we break for the year? Scott, uh, I, I will give you first word. Uh, well, as president, I have to thank our listeners and everybody else who supports us uh, and makes this great work possible. Uh, it's great to be in the trenches with all of you guys. And my only addition is to just thank you for having me on and to thank 
Scott for being a great boss as we engage in holiday <laughs> cheer here. Uh, and to wish you and everybody who's, who's nicely listening a, a great happy new year. And I will echo both those sentiments to all who are listening, a happy new year, and we will see you all in the coming year. Thanks again to my senior colleagues, Scott Walter and Mike Cartman for joining me. That's our show for this week and our final show of 2023. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. We'll see you all in the new year.